But today we're going to wrap up the series talking about a bigger story and a better ending. How many could use a better ending to your life? You could use a better ending to your life. I have to admit, my friend Kevin Forehand, when I was a senior in high school, he got radically saved uh, as we were going uh, uh, after our junior year. He got radically saved uh, watching a televangelist by himself in his home. Um, He got saved. He kneeled down in his living room, gave his life to Jesus Christ, went to his bedroom, kneeled down again, and got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he became a just on fire Christian, totally changed, totally transformed. Uh, He was my partying buddy, and uh, he was totally transformed and literally preached the pain off the walls wherever he would go. In fact, it was to the point, and now I wasn't saved at the time, but when you seen Kevin, and uh, I remember one particular uh, day I was up in the uh, career center. We had a school with no walls. Believe it or not, our classroom didn't have walls. And so we called it the Rotunda. And in, in the career center, I remember up there planning my future, getting serious about what I was about to do. And I remember Kevin saying, he said, Dean, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And then he would say, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. How you know Kevin was serious, right? And then the first time I finally said yes at the end, about April of my senior year, I finally said yes to going to youth group. And a young preacher, you might know him, named Eddie Rents. He was about 24 years old back then. And uh, he preached a message that we would refer to today as hellfire and brimstone. Anybody ever heard one of those messages, right? that focused on the consequence of eternity without God. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the what? The lake of fire, right? The flames are going to be licking at your legs, right? And so I'm no dummy. I gave my life to Jesus at the end of my senior year. And uh, I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior. And there were a lot of ups and downs until about six months later I got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and got called into ministry, and I've been seeking God ever since. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people grow up, too, uh, as well with this. You might know somebody that saw the original movie, Thief in the Night. Anybody there? Nobody seen Thief in the Night? And anybody that you hear talk about this movie as a young child said they were scared to death about the rapture and Jesus coming back and gave their lives to Christ out of absolute fear and trepidation. In fact, I've got a little clip for you. Thief in the night, right? You know, all these things are true. Um, but today I'm going after a better ending. You see, if the end times, the last days, eschatology, which means the end times or last things, if it's only used as a tool of fear to get people saved, the end of the story becomes empty of its powerful truth for believers today. You see, a bigger story cannot be fear-based. The covenant of grace we talked about last week is motivated by God's love. 
How many know for God so loved the world? And so it is with the end of the story. It should be, it should not just be communicated in fear, but in confident faith and certainty of our promised future. Amen? You see, this is in your notes. The end of the story wasn't meant to scare us, but to prepare us. The end of the story wasn't meant to scare you, but to prepare you for all that God has for us. Jack Hayford said this. He said, the sensationalization, the commercialization of the second coming of Jesus Christ has been reduced to charts. In the first century, nobody had a chart, but they all were excited about Jesus coming again. They all believed it. They lived in the light of that prospect. It motivated their living, their thinking. Behavior was governed by it. It was a warm, edifying, comforting dynamic in the early church. But the second coming of Jesus today is a whip, a goad, a motivator to action. It is a seller of books. It is an instrument of dominating people's conduct, if you possibly can. And because of this commercialization and books and all these different things, I believe we've so distanced and disconnected ourselves from the end of the story. In fact, Revelation is one of the least books read in the entire Bible. We've so distanced and disconnected ourselves from the end of the story, we've lost our confidence in our promised future. In the book of Revelation, there, it's a mystery. Everybody say mystery. It is a mystery to many. And this last book of the Bible leaves many in a prophetic quandary, trying to figure things out. And I believe this is because we missed the point. And the point is explained in most Bibles that you read. If you'd open up to the end of the book, it might read something like this. The title given in most Bibles is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. How you know the end of the story reveals our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's look at Revelation 1, 1 through 8. And the Lord has really highlighted some things to me that I've never seen before. And I want to share them with you this morning. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. That's what we read the book of John last week. Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Verse 3, I want everyone to underline it or highlight it in your Bible or on your Bible app. It says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Everybody say, for the time is near. You see, when we say Jesus is coming soon, or when we say, for the time is drawing near, those words, listen, those words can ring empty if they're not connected to the revelation of who he is. Look at verse 3 again. Three things you've got to see. It says, blessed is he or she who reads it. So John is saying just by reading the book of Revelation, you're going to be blessed. How many want to be blessed? And then it says, blessed are those that hear the words of this prophecy. So even if you hear it, 
You're going to be blessed by it. And then lastly, it says, blessed are those who keep the things which are written in it. How you know obedience is important? It leads me to my first point in your notes there. God promises a happy ending when we connect our story to a bigger story. First John 2.28 says, and now little children, abide in him. We've heard this word before. We've talked about it. We've defined it. It means remain in him. Stay intimate with him. In these last days, listen, in the last days, which we've been in the last days for a long time, but how many know the temptation is to say, oh, he's not coming? To not live urgently anymore. To not live expectant anymore. To believe that we have more time than we really do. Because the Bible says we don't know the hour, the day, or the time, right? But we know the time is short. But have we come, have we so disconnected with the end of the story that we no longer live with urgency on earth? Do we no longer live with the expectancy, listen, to see Jesus do above and beyond all that we could ask or think in the time that we're living in? And now, little children, abide in him. Stay close to him in what we're facing and what we see breaking out all around us in culture. Listen, remain in me, he says, that when he appears, we may have, I love this, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The word confidence there in the Greek means free and fearless. I like this definition, cheerful courage. How many know you can be happy and bold? Come on, you can be bold and smiling, amen? And assurance. Everyone say assurance. I told you last week, not fire insurance, but assurance. Confident faith, listen, that seeks the face of God. Leads me to my second point, that God doesn't want us to be surprised by the end of the story. He wants us to live with certainty of who is to come. It says, for the time is near. You see, we're to live with anticipation and expectation that Jesus is going to be revealed at the end of the story. It goes on to say in the subheading in verse 4 that John greets the seven churches. In verse 4 it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you. I love this. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Can we think about that just for a moment? That in the midst of turmoil, listen, in the midst of all kinds of things getting ready to break out, things happening all around, even the New Testament church here. Listen, it, John says, grace to you. How many know we're going to need grace? Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds what? Even more. Grace to you. He didn't say, be afraid now. You better watch out because the enemy is coming after you. That's not what he said. He said, grace and peace to you. How many know the church needs to walk in supernatural grace and supernatural peace in the days that we're living in, in confident assurance of who he is and what he's saying to us. We have to be a people today that are hearing his voice like never before. 
Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. It leads me to my third point, that God doesn't want us to live afraid. He wants us to abound in the abundance of the good news. Let me say that again. He wants us to abound in the abundance of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, of who is and who was and who is to come. Verse 5 is a powerful, 5 and 6 is a powerful, are two powerful scriptures in this. He says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love this in verses 5 and 6 because John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you've got to catch this this morning, he ties the gospel to the end times. He ties, listen, the gospel story to the end of the story. You see, telling someone Jesus is coming back soon is not good news unless you present the gospel with it. Always kind of tripped off the preachers that got so excited about Jesus coming soon and I wasn't saved yet. Like that wasn't good news to me, right? But John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, connects the good news with the end times. Let's break it down. Look at this. It says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Last week we talked about Jesus, what? Moving into the neighborhood. He became flesh, right? That's the incarnation. Put that there. That's the incarnation. Then he says, the firstborn from the dead. How many know that's the resurrection? And then he says, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. How many know after the resurrection there was an ascension? That how, how do you know? How many know the enemy is under his feet? He's under our feet. That's the ascension. And then he says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's our redemption. So the incarnation, the resurrection, the ascension, the redemption. And I love verse 6. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. That's adoption. How many thankful that you've been adopted by God? But don't stop there. We stop there so many times. We stop there. But everybody say there's more. It says, to him be glory and dominion for an, forever and ever. I used to think that was just a fancy way that, you know, the New Testament saints ended their prayers. Come on. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? Am I the only one? I was like, man, that is cool, you know, right? But no, 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 no. Uh, John is saying, let, let, don't, don't end the story. He said, he said, don't end the story. You see, when I say amen, that means there is a total restoration. There is a total restoration coming to, and, and I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. You see, when we detach the gospel from our eschatology, we turn the great commission into the great escape. You see, the rapture is not the end. Do we know that? The rapture is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the end. 
The rapture's not the end. There's so much more to look forward to. Enduring to see a new heavens and a new earth. Total restoration is what God has for us. I believe at the end, uh, and I'm going to show you. Actually, I'll just wait. How about that? I'm going to jump ahead of myself. But the rapture's not the end. Jesus coming to, that's not the end. It's the beginning of the end. And I love how John keeps it all into perspective for us. Because the temptation, listen, with last days and eschatology and all those things, is to get distracted by who is the Antichrist and who's the 144,000 and all these things, right? All, all, all great things to study. I'm not, I'm not minimizing those things, but how many know you can get off on those things? What I want you to leave here today with is that there are certain things that we know about our promised future. Listen, that it's not a guessing game, but it's in the book. And verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Everyone say the Almighty. I love what John does. He does the same thing that we talked about last week. Note in chapter 1, all of the times that John says, I am. Verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who was, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. How you know he's going to take care of the end of your story? Verse 17, I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have, I love this. Oh, and by the way, I have the keys to Hades and of death. You see, in the midst of prophecy and revelation, John had his eyes fixed on the great I am. And how much more in the days that we're living in? Listen, should we not be focused, listen, on CNN and Fox and all those different things? But if our eyes are fixed on the great I am. Which leads me to my fourth point. Don't just get caught up with the events of the end times. Be captivated by the end times event planner. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, how do you know somebody that's went before you? Come on, that's cheering you on. Come on, your grandpa, your granny. Come on, I got my papa upstairs. I got my granny rooting for me down here. How about you? My uncle, my auntie. A great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. There's the word. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Whose name did we sing about this morning? Looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, John never got his eyes off Jesus, and neither should we. With that said, I do want to give you a timeline that has helped me just grasp the unfolding of end-time events that we'll dive more 
into this Wednesday, and I wanted to show you. It's called the Panorama of Prophecy. You can see the present age. That's the church age. You see the rapture of the saints. That's usually where we stop. We stop right here. Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. But look how much more left there is to go. Lord, for forgiving me, for loving me, and releasing me from my bondage, from my fear. In Jesus' name, I receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise? I want to just...